Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glyn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hi, and welcome back to another episode, episode number 10, Glyn. Fantastic, mate. That's two over the ones they say when you're going to stop. So we've actually uh, we've surpassed that already. I know, a difficult second album. We've, we've got past <laughs> it, we've worked through it. Um, now, yeah, welcome back. This week, this week we've got a really special episode because, um, like we said previously when we uh, interviewed David McClelland in episode eight, we conducted a couple of interviews at the photography show. Now, for those that know me, I am a huge book lover. I still, oh, are you? oh, yeah, am I? <laughs> uh, I, I just love books. I love the, the tactile, the feel of them. I, th- I still think the smell of a book is is a lovely thing. And to be, you know, I envy people like yourself who are authors that are able to have something published. I'm still all for print. Um, and this was a really special episode for us because we got to chat to two friends that we've got to know through um, through our connection with Photoshop World and Scott Kelby. But really, we just had a chat with them about the state of publishing in photography world today, uh, as they've seen a huge change. They've been in the industry for a while. And we got to sit down and sort of ask them some questions that we wanted to know and we think our listeners would want to know. Yeah, Scott, then Scott. Cowlin and Ted Waite is who we spoke to. Like you said, great friends of ours. They're at Rocky Nook, used to be at Peach Pit. Uh, and like you say, Dave, on the stand, they've got all those books by uh, Alan Hess, Scott Kelby, uh, Colin Smith, myself. Yeah. There's my books there as well, which was really, really cool. Uh, and I, I really did enjoy this interview because what I didn't want to do was just have a normal kind of chat with these guys. I've, I've actually never heard an interview with a publisher where it's kind of like taking the wrapping off and getting real down to basic conversation about books, what gets involved in it. And what would happen if somebody wanted to to write a book? Obviously, I know the kind of process there. But one of the things I loved the answer that uh, Scott in particular gave was when I said, um, "What if somebody came to you with an idea for a book? What would be an instant no? So you go from the point of hearing them, all of a sudden you just hear that you can just see their mouth moving because in your head you're saying, no way, oh, yeah. Jose. I think, it's, I think this is a really, really good interview, mate, because it is, it's real proper honest talking. Yep. So let's jump into the interview. We, uh, we had this in our hotel room, once again, our favourite interview place. Uh, this was at the uh, NEC Birmingham during the photography show. This is the interview with Rocky Nooks, Scott Cowlin and Ted Waite. All right, okay, so we've obviously said in previous episodes that this whole podcast has been born out of conversations that Dave and me have had when we've been travelling, so we thought we'd record them. And as it happens at the moment we're recording this, we are actually in, although I haven't travelled that far. No. uh, The people who we've got with us have, but we are actually at the photography show at the Birmingham NEC, and we are currently in our hotel room. But like I said, we're not alone. We have two guys with us, so we're going to hand you over to those guys just to kind of say who they are. So we've got guys called Scott and Ted. So Scott, over to you. Who are you? Uh, I'm Scott Cowlin. I am the publisher at Rocky Nook. Uh, We publish books on photography. Uh, I've been doing this for uh, 18 years, something like that. Um, I used to work over at Pearson with Peach Pit, and we published a lot of books with Scott Kelby and all sorts of folks over there, classroom of books, and uh, many books that you've seen on the market. About three years ago, I got the opportunity to come over and be a partner and take over running of Rocky Nook, mm-hmm. um, who you may have heard of. We've published... <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah. We've published a, a book by somebody in this room, um, as well as another new one coming up in the fall. Nice. And um, we, you know, Lindsay Adler and Scott Kelby is gracious enough to come work with us there, and David Dusherman and all sorts of, you know, great books. And we love what we do. 
I've been doing it for 18 years and I, uh, when I came over to start running Rocky Nook, I brought uh, my partner in crime, Mr. Ted Waite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like over Ted. there. Hi, I'm Ted Waite. Uh, I'm an associate publisher at Rocky Nook. And um, like Scott said, we came over maybe about three years ago and um, publishing uh, a number of great books and great authors. And uh, uh, we have about seven people. We have about, we have exactly seven people uh, mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. at Rocky Nook. And we publish uh, around 30 books a year. Okay, just I don't know if we said, but did you say exactly where you're based as well? Uh, just outside of San Francisco, just oh, over the Golden Gate Bridge. Very nice. You don't see many pictures of that, do you? <laughs> uh, so, so, Dave, we kind of thought it'd be great to have a chat with Scott and Ted, who are friends of ours, obviously, yeah. you know, uh, because I've, I've certainly never heard um, an interview with Scott or Ted, uh, and I've heard, never heard an interview with publishers. No. Um, so I kind of wanted to get it out there, things that we've spoken about. Yeah. Do's, don'ts about because you know books is obviously extremely popular. So I, I, I wanted to just kind of kick it off with um, Scott. All right. So if somebody Joe Public, who was a, a photographer or a designer, had an idea, they think they had an idea for a book. Is there anything that when they started to speak to you, let's say while you're on your uh, Rocky Nook stand here at the photography show, if they spoke to you within a few minutes, you know instantly, no. Is there anything that you kind of like have a guideline of? That ain't going to work. Well, we get, and probably the biggest no for us is we do educational photography books. And everybody went on a fantastic trip to India or Hawaii or, and took amazing photos, and they're beautiful. But that's not the kind of book we do. Um, so that's pretty much an instant. We don't do coffee table type books. Um, there's a rare exception to that, but for the most part, that's a no. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's like any product, really. It's what makes it unique. You know, is it the first book on a topic? Is it the best book on a topic? Is it a different way? Um, you know, is it just a fabulous idea? Mm-hmm. And what makes it different? When you put out any product, you know, what's your differentiating factor? How is it better than any book on the market that's out there? Or, um, you know, unless it's, you know, sometimes it's popularity driven. You have a really good following. You have those kind of things. But even then, it still needs to be a great idea and offer value to the reader. You know, what's going to really benefit them and teach them to do something better? Mm-hmm. You know, because you could have a, the, you know, the largest Instagram following in the world, but if the advice you're giving is something, you know, that's a blog post yeah, yeah. and not actionable, then it's not going to be a, a good product in the end. Do you ever get uh, like an aggregate of you find people coming with these ideas and then you both go away and think, actually, kind of, what that guy wanted and what that guy wanted would actually make a great book if we put that together. Are you then in a position where you have to think, okay, we've got now, now we've got a good idea, but we don't have an author. What's the challenge then for you two of finding the right author? I mean, sometimes it is actually ideas that have sat there for years and you're waiting to find that person, either somebody you meet or somebody you hear about. Um, sometimes you know, we, we've Ted and I together have been in publishing for over 30 years, so we know a lot of people. So sometimes yeah. we'll go out and find. We know, it's like, oh, that's a perfect idea if we go get that person over there, um, or we just put it in the put it in the file and and wait till we meet that right person. Yeah, yeah we have a really large Google Doc of ideas, <laughs> yeah. authors we'd like to work with who the timing isn't right, or you know, it's not. It's just it just is not. Um, 
all coming together. Um, but we do have, and you know, one of the great reasons that we come to these shows is not only to speak with friends and authors in their hotel rooms, yeah. but to <laughs> you know speak with uh, all these attendees, these twenty and thirty thousand attendees who come in, and they help us understand what they're looking for. You know, yeah. certain topics, certain technologies. Uh, certain maybe uh, people we haven't yet heard of. So it keeps us, you know, fresh and informed. And then that we, you know, we take that all the, you know, we collect notes and we take that back home and we start talking with everyone back at home. And we say, you know, what, what came out of this show? Um, that could be a new idea. What could be an idea that we were trying to follow up on from before? Um, and, uh, you know, what succeeded and what maybe failed. And, you know, it's interesting at this show too, versus other shows, uh, in the U.S., what different books perform, you know, they sell differently in yeah, different yeah. spaces. And that's been really interesting to follow. So you do the Enthusiast Guide range, which is, is now three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, Two years old. So what was, what was the germ for that? Because that was probably one of the earliest titles you did from coming over to Rocky Nook. And now that's got, I think, what, nine, nine or ten... Year, of which one well a few actually by Alan Hess who we've mm-hmm. we all know Alan he's yeah. interviewed on this podcast which has done very well actually I think it's that particular episode yeah <laughs> no pressure yeah. No, no yeah no pressure guys come on oh, I, I mean I think you know it, we we look at books in a lot of different ways you know and one of the ways is um, sort of uh, learning level or what stage you are in photography and we didn't really when you look at you know, objectively look at Rocky Nook's list, we had many more books at the high end than we did at the, lo- the low beginner end. Mm. And so we were looking for a series that was cost effective um, and something that you could just dive into if you were a beginner and, it's, and you wanted to dive into a certain topic. Or maybe you're, you know, you've, you've got the basics of exposure and composition and you want to, I really want to start taking portraiture portraits yeah. because I'm a landscape photographer and I don't really know much about that. You could dive into that. Or I've never taken... Um, night photos or you know I don't know uh, HDR or those kind of things yeah. and I just want to dive deep into those topics so they're affordable and they're they're bite-sized so they're you can jump in and learn you know each of those books is you know f- learn 50 things about this yeah. and so each one is four to six pages it's really quick just to jump in on a train ride or whatever your, your commute you can yeah. learn one little thing and then move on to the next thing yeah the well, format's really nice as well I mean it's yeah. one of my of the, the ones that I've got, I do like the layout and the format of them because, like you say, there are those kind of bite-sized little mini projects. And then you started the How Do I Do That series, which you've now done Photoshop and Lightroom. And again, that kind of book, that recipe-style book that you'd worked on with Scott at Peach Pit, which was the digital photography guide, that same kind of size and single-page things, the feedback I've got from those books has been they love that quick oh how do i do that thing pick it up go to the book there's that one one page one page solution to it mm. and they say have you found that still a popular style i think that's really popular because it's even it's not even that you didn't know it it's a reminder yeah oh yeah i can do that like oh i remember that that's really handy yeah or oh i never thought of that i do this all the time those kind of things are you know just because everybody's super busy and a lot of people especially mm. in photography there's a lot of people that make their you know, living at it, but there's a lot of people that it's a hobby and they, they may, maybe they don't get to do it for two weeks because they're doing their day jobs or, and they yeah. forgot something. I, I love those kind of like one page, one tip kind of books. I totally get why they're 
popular because you literally just, like I say, you just dive in, get it, try it, and then move on and what have you. Yeah. But but it's kind of uh, for me as you as we're kind of sort of talking here. Obviously, we're talking books, you know, the digital age and and eBooks and all that kind of stuff, and also maybe video. How how is how are books kind of bearing up nowadays? Do you find that they've because everyone says, oh no, books are gone now. It's all digital. People want to read it on their devices because they can take it anywhere and everywhere. How are you finding the actual physical book, which I actually prefer now, believe it. I know it's not just because I've written a couple. I like having it in my hands, but how are you finding that now? There's actually been a resurgence um, of, of print books, especially in the US. Uh, Europe and the UK never really adopted the ebook fad as much in the US. Mm. Four or five years ago, the ebooks were just soaring, and I think. It was because all the devices, the Kindles and all those things were new and they were exciting and it seemed great. I could have as many books as I wanted. Um, and people were less online and I think there's just a general move in society to sort of want to unplug and when you're learning, just be away from a device and off that device and doing something um, physical. And then there's just the pure joy of a book. I mean, you know, we, we pride ourselves in making beautifully crafted books. So when you pick it up, it feels good and it looks good and it... You know, we turn the pages and it's a nice thing to have. It's an artifact. You know, it's like you want to keep it around. I can't sign ebooks either. <laughs> Today, well, they get mad. They, you know, if you sign their iPad, they're up. It's quite funny because when we're on the, because uh, obviously today I've been with you guys on your stand here and uh, just, you know, we've got the book there, the photograph like a thief, and you can sign it and stuff like that. It's quite funny because some people see it and they come up to say, hi, oh, I've got your, your book on a Kindle. I'm like, well, I can't sign that. Do you know what I mean? But like, I'm happy to across the screen. But I do, honestly, I know you do because you collect them, Dave. But oh, we've also got books. When, uh, when I do like my YouTube videos, I've got like, a bookshelf behind me. The only books that are on my bookshelf are books that I've got that have been signed or dedications to from folks that we all know, mm-hmm. you know, Scott, Alan, Matt, and all those kind of guys. And that, that's why they're behind me. I don't necessarily want to read them. I've just got them as like a, you know. They're meaningful artifacts. Yeah, and yeah. So, do you know, sometimes I'll actually do that. I will buy two versions of the book. I'll have the physical one that goes on the shelf and is in pristine condition. And I would have had then the Kindle version. Yeah. I think people lose focus too and think that, you know, it's just videos or videos of the future or ebooks of the mm-hmm. future or print books of the future, and at the, the, the end of the day, everybody learns from all of those things, and some are better for certain things than others. Mm. You know, books are better for going back and referencing something. It's a pain, you know, if you just watched an hour-long video, and you want to find the thing, yeah, where, was the, where was that yeah. thing? I don't remember, yeah. what were the steps again? I have to watch the mm-hmm. whole thing again to get that. Where a book, you can flip back and there's your things. And so, and video is great because you can see things, and you can see personality, yeah. and, and you know, the, the, there's, it's not the same. Plus, plus in some videos, because you hear it, obviously, because we all you know do videos and stuff. You hear some people saying, "Oh yeah, I tried to watch this guy's video, but I can't stand his voice." Do you know what I mean? But in a book, you don't get voice. that. It's your voice in your head reading the book, isn't it? Generally, so. and there there is a lot. Scott says and uh, has is known to say that you know you can encounter. Uh, why would you do a book on? the same topic multiple times, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of times, you know, it takes many times to encounter the same kind of material Mm -hmm. through different people's voices. And that could be video, that could be an ebook, it could be a print book, but maybe it's on that sixth time that you've heard about 
the inverse square law, where it really clicks. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily because this is the time that it was explained the best for you, but all of those five times before all come together, and it does finally click. And maybe it was a combination of seeing it in video, seeing it, you know, reading it in a book, mm-hmm. and it finally works. So, you know, that can be an argument for different formats of learning, as well as, you know, repeating, if you will, you know, subject matter. If we could only do one book on Photoshop and one book on portrait lighting, there would be no publishing business, yeah, you know. Exactly. Well, there's, it's, learning any art form, and photography in particular, it's a journey, and you're sort of never done. Even if you've been doing it for your whole life, there's still things you can learn, and, and you, it may take a long time for certain things to click and really mm. resonate with you. So, yeah, it... it People buy things on the same topic all the time. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what do, you do if you get a um, somebody who's, like, let's say, a great designer or a great photographer, and they've definitely got content that would make a great book? What do you do if they just can't write? And I don't mean physically don't know the alphabet or anything, but they just cannot write and string a sentence that would be uh, legible for somebody to follow. What what do you do about that? Well, I. Th- I, I, Scott, jump in anytime, please. Uh, but I would say, you know, sometimes that might be a sign of something else, which is that they're not always maybe a great teacher. Maybe they're, you know, they're attracted to photography in this particular example because they're very visual and that's how they communicate best. Yeah. A lot of, you know, the, the best uh, authors, of course, communicate both visually and with words and uh you know we tend to say the best the books are a book is going to do its best when the photography is top notch when the teaching is there when the you know that photographer likes to teach on that subject and people look to that person to learn that subject um and then of course kind of a, a third leg of that stool is is you know a kind of following for for popularity um because because of you know marketing is a real partnership between the publisher and the author Mm -hmm. um but if you have all of those three going going well together then you really have something uh, that can that can be a success if somebody is uh has trouble writing a lot of times people will come to us and say i can't write my way out of a paper bag they actually can you know they do write blogs and they're fine they just think of a book as this elevated serious thing it doesn't have to be that way they can keep their voice yeah. we can help them with editors and you know developmental editors which help them uh craft ideas and then copy editors who help them actually you know word by word you know convey a message mm-hmm. yeah. uh proofreaders we have multiple layers of wordsmiths um but, you know, sometimes it is true. If somebody does not want to write or they truly can't write, then it, it, that can be the time to say, you know, it's great to meet you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just wish everybody well. Yeah. But I think, I, I think a common misconception, I think, with what a publisher does, there's a lot of value that, we, people, that publishers provide outside of. We're not just printers or booksellers or those kind of things. But, you know, you have, you, when you work with somebody like Ted, you're getting 18 years of experience of creating great books and knowing all of those different things and can coax the best out of Mm. you. And, you know, the real give and take between an editor and an author is what makes a book usually great. Mm. A lot of things I always say, like, if if we talk about a book today and we agree, like, this is what the book's going to be, and if six months and it's gone through this process of you writing and the editor looking at it, it's the same book, it's probably not very good. Just like any creative process, you know, you, if, 
it's going to change as you go because you're going to be learning as you go and the give and take between, have you thought about this? What about that? Mm -hmm. If you change this, you know what? You didn't explain this at all. You just threw out this term and you never explained it before and you got to do that. That's what creating a book is about, Mm -hmm. you know, and having that give and take with an author and an editor is like, that's a really great thing. Mm -hmm. And finding that match is, is what, you know, that's what one of the services that publishers provide. Mm -hmm. Because one of the instances, I I won't name the person, I won't name the publisher, but I I was aware of, um, there was a situation where somebody had a book deal, a book need, it was like, it felt like a book needed to be written around this person. And the person was very much, I, <laughs> yeah, I, you work it. You work it out. The people in the room will work it out in a minute. And and I'm not shaming the guy. It's just that I knew I knew of the situation where a, a, <laughs> a book needed to be written. The guy couldn't write the book. It actually took a little bit longer to get the book out because he ended up having to basically talk the book and have it transcribed, which made it take. It's, and that, and it, honestly, that's not the worst thing. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah. in the end, I mean, the book turned out to be fine. It took a little I'm bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the but the book turned out fine. And it was just interesting to hear that the book was still able to be made, even though the guy couldn't write it, but he could talk about it and it transcribed and then turned yeah. into the yeah. end result. If we've gotten to a point like that, our job is to vet people. And really the, the thing that Ted said about teaching, if you can't teach in, the, in what we do, then there's probably not going to be a book there. If you don't have something, an idea that you want to convey, whether you can write it out on a piece of paper, there's other ways to solve that problem. They can speak. You know, yeah. If they can speak well and that can be transcribed and then an editor can work with them to craft sentences that make it all make sense. Yeah. But you know, they really need to be able to have a great idea to teach and have something to offer to the reader. Because yeah. in the end, that's what, you're, that's what they're buying. They want to be better at what they're doing. Yeah. So if you can talk about being better then that's a solution. But, you know, nine times out of ten, if we've gotten to a time where we've signed a contract, that person's going to be able to... Yeah. And I've said to people before, because I've come into teaching quite late in my life, is I've always had an ability to do something. Only recently have I become a teacher of it. But but then when people have been, oh, you should write a book. Oh, you should write a book. And it's it sounds great, but... Be doing, teaching, and writing are three really big things. And like we just said, is someone could be great at something, they might be able to convey it in a teaching method, but that may still not transfer to a book. So it's... Yeah, I, talked, I actually talked to my daughter about that a lot, in that once that's the true level of mastery of something is when you can teach it. Because yeah. you know, we were talking about some math stuff the other day, and you know, she was... I was like, you should teach your mom how to do that. And she and and that idea, like once you have the ability to teach somebody what you're doing, mm-hmm. then you're a master. Yeah. And if you can truly convey that knowledge, then you can that, that you can write a book. Yeah. You know, you can you can teach, you can do whatever. Yeah. Because that's what it's all about. Like you transferring your knowledge from one person to the other. And that's the thing I found that I've probably been doing longer than I realized because I like talking about what I do. I like explaining what I do, and I like to see other people achieving what I do, because I think it's a sharing process. Mm. And, and that's what I think why I love books, because I learn so much from books, and I'm learning from people who are 
they are great teachers, great storytellers even. It doesn't always have to be instructional. It can be a storytelling book. One of the other things that I've noticed in the last couple of years that speaking to authors they've said is obviously for you guys with educational, maybe less so with cameras, but with software changing so quickly now, how much of an impact does that have on what you're planning when you'd be like, oh, we want this great book on such and such or this this camera, then all of a sudden, boom. Well, even, even something like the Creative Cloud now, when we have things like yeah. Photoshop, whereas before we'd wait maybe 18 months yeah. for an update, yeah. now, I mean, we saw it a couple of Photoshop worlds back where they had engineers there from Adobe in a room. People were going in and saying, oh, this, this, and this. The guys were coding it, bang, and it was going across, across the Creative Cloud and people were getting it. Yeah. So as somebody, I mean, I know when it comes to me doing the things I have uh, written in the, the certain photograph like a thief, and in the next book that we're doing, Photograph Photoshop Toolbox, uh, due out both with great covers. Uh, I try and write it, although obviously you've got to include the new technology in there, the new things that have been put in. I also I'm also thinking I want this to have a little little bit more of longevity. So how can I write it in a way that's always going to be relevant? At, you know, for a bit longer than maybe, well, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think in the end, what you really want to teach with a software book or even a camera book is the big concepts and the things. And you really can't, if you're trying to write a book that covers every feature these days and be exhaustive, yeah. you can't do it. Because, and, and to be honest, a lot of the things that they do, like they'll make Photoshop faster, or the catalog loads faster, and it's a new version well, that's not really relevant to a book, mm. right? It just happens. Mm. Or the, you know, whatever, the exposure slider works better. That's still the exposure slider, and you still have to understand what the elements are and why you want to use yeah. them. Because yeah. that's the other thing is it's usually not about this slider. You move it to the left, and it's lighter. This slider, you move it to the, it's darker. Look at that. That doesn't help anybody. They can do that by themselves. Yeah. It's more like why would you adjust the exposure, and what are you trying to convey in that picture? And it should be, you know, you want it dark here and light mm. there and... You know, that's really the important part of learning the software, not, oh, now there's a dehaze filter. Yeah. Um, so I've got a question yeah, for you. Yeah. This is going to, it's just literally just coming to my head because that's how I'm going to work. Throw one out there because I've, I've had these people asking me before this. Prices of books. Who sets the prices of books? Because we see sometimes, and this is, you know, I'm throwing a bit of a curveball in here. We see prices that are in like America and then we see prices that are in the UK and they can, it appears to be a bit, you know, quite a bit different. Who controls pricing? And let's say, that um, well, initially, because I know that when a first, well, like say that the latest book is out there is kind of like a pre-order, and it gets Amazon seems to put it at a certain price, and I know that when it gets released, the price seems to change. So, what? Why is that? What's that kind of process all about? Well, I mean, it's a com- it's a complicated question, but the one that's another misnomer. Um, so, Amazon sets its own prices. We set a standard um, manufacturer's price on a book. And Amazon pays us a set amount of that money. What they choose to do and, and, and um, how much they choose to discount it, whether it's you know, 20% or more than they pay us. There's, there's times when they're selling books for less than they've actually paid us for them. Um, they're in total control of setting that price. Right. So that's why it's confusing. Mm-hmm. You get into U.S. and currency exchange and all of that kind of stuff, it can get even weirder and make not as much sense from the public standpoint. But we set a pretty standard price globally, how that gets executed across. You know, our ebooks tend to be 
you know, 80% of the print price because that's the that's basically the difference in cost to us. Yeah. But in general, you know, the um, the it's about a 50, you know, the whatever the retail price is, the retailers buying it at 50% and it's pretty especially in the US, it's actually by law it's the same. Yeah. Because we had an issue in the UK when when ebooks first came out was the general consensus was okay so let's say photograph like a thief the author's written it it's gone off to manufacturing it's been printed there's a whole process there's a cost involved so by the time that book lands in a shop and I'm paying say forty dollars for it you feel like you're paying for that manufacturing process and and the the thing. Whereas a lot of people were, were on the Kindle side was, well, surely I should just get the Kindle for like $10 because all the manufacturing is taken away. But the thing in the UK that hit a lot of people was bizarrely, we don't pay VAT on books, but we pay VAT on Kindle books. Right. So all the VAT, all the books, all the books in Kindle were, were, were 20, so they consider, 20. A lot of times it's considered software because yes. it's digital. Yeah, there's all sorts of, throughout more. Europe, I mean, certain, like France and Germany have different uh, pricing laws for books that are different than yeah. the rest of the world, and certainly in the U.S. So that's why now you see a lot more of the bundles where you can buy the digital and the, the hard copy. Mm. But yeah, it was a big thing a lot of people hadn't realized is that they don't, so in some cases, the Kindle book was dearer than the print version because the 20% added on top. It, but another thing that a common misconception, because you hear that all the time, well, the, these ebooks, but the reality is, is that actual print costs is a very small portion of our overall cost, probably 5% of our overall cost of a product. And all this stuff we talked, that Ted talked about before is the editing and the design and the copywriting. I mean, you're talking about, you know, some of these books are, you know, 50 to 100,000 words and you know, there's multiple designs and images and, and all that kind of stuff. All the costs and that editorial process that goes into that is where you're getting the value because somebody has vetted it for you. Yeah. Somebody has gone through that process yeah. of said, you know what, Glenn, in step three, you didn't explain how to do X, Y, and Z. Mm. And that process, you know, um, you see it. And if, if it doesn't go through that, then it's not as good of a product. And you're, yeah. get, you're getting that vetting. I, I feel it as, as, you know, I feel quite weird saying it, but as an author, do you know what I mean? I feel that, like, certainly working with you guys, when we, when we kind of come up with the idea for a book, I know that the follow-up emails I get from yourself, uh, self, Ted, it's all right, now let's, this is your team, and we do, like, an intro to the team and talk, and we do, like, a Skype thing, and that, for me, is, like, that was a big eye-opener for me because it's like, wow, you, you, it was a whole process. You are led through it. What I, what I like about working with you, and I'm not saying this because, you know, we're friends and I do books with you, is the fact that uh, when I was writing before, I would send it off to a member of the team. Okay, this is obviously not with Rocky Nook, but I'd send it off to a member of the team. And when it came back, that first initial proofread, the whole sentence structure, when I read it back, it didn't feel like me. It didn't sound like me. And whereas I find with you guys, when I send it into Rocky Nook, there are there are plenty of spelling errors and grammatical errors. But when I read it back, it still sounds like me, and that's what I love about it. It's almost like the ums and the ahs are all left in there. That's what I really like. So, is that is that a conscious effort that you guys have made of a difference, so that the voice of the author is coming out as opposed to it sounding like a generic author that anybody could have written it? It just so happens to have that photographer's work in it. 
Yeah, we uh, yeah we definitely respect the author's voice, and you know there are different levels of editing that one can have, and that should be part of the conversation up front. Which is, hey, you know this is really important to me. It's really important to my audience that I retain my voice, and so please you know clean it up a little, but you know please you know help me stay me. Whereas sometimes other authors will come in and say do anything you can to make me sound better because I am terrible, you know? And so they're asking for a heavier edit, you know, and, and we'll give it to them. Uh, but, um, it does a lot of times you, you, even in a heavier edit, you want to make sure that that voice comes through because, you know, as we touched on earlier with regard to, you know, social media followings and, uh, fans, um, and just teaching styles, you know, people are looking to you. They look at your images and they want to learn how to take a photograph like that. And so they want to learn from that person. Why wouldn't you want to hear from that person? Well, people, people buy into the person before they buy into yeah. the product, don't they, really? And Scott, famously, all of his books are his voice. And he writes those intros. And then I think well, he even bought out a book of his intros. Absolutely. And some people don't like his yeah. voice. I mean, Scott has said before some of the comments he gets, they hate that. But for the most part, it seems when you pick up a Scott Kelby book... It, you hear Scott Kelby's voice. Well, the, 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 end, the end of the day, to go back to what we said before, what, what we're looking for and we want to have is some, a, pro, a book or a product that's out there that's different. And so a voice is a very, it's a, you know, that's one of the most talented things a writer can offer. And so keeping that in there and having, you know, hear, having Glenn's voice in your head as you're reading the book. It's annoying. It is really annoying, but it's got that <laughs> that funny really accent. Yeah, it's really weird. No, but it, truthfully, that is that's what you want. You want to like get into the spirit of like you know people knew Glenn for, from seeing him present or on YouTube, and then if it was you know read like a textbook, mm. that's not what people are paying for or want to or how they want to learn. They want to learn in the same style. Yeah, yeah somebody else who were we were speaking with earlier today, uh, a potential. Um, food photography book author, uh, you know, she was talking about how she uses natural light uh, and she doesn't use artificial light. And so if she writes this book, does she need to cover artificial light? And we actually will encounter people who feel like they almost put on their their author uniform and they feel like they need to say everything and cover everything and almost write the kind of Bible of a topic. When in fact, what you want to do is bring them back to, you know, this is related to voice in that just say, you know, what do people look to you to learn? Just teach them that. If you don't use artificial light, don't use art. Don't talk about it. Yeah. That's not what people are coming to you to learn, clearly, because mm-hmm. that's not what you do. Yeah. So keep your voice. Teach what you know. You'll be fine. So one of, one of the experiences I've had in the last couple of years, was obviously through the friendship with you and Glenn, was that old phrase of never judge a book by its cover. <laughs> no, this isn't a, this isn't me bragging. This is a, this is a learning experience for me because being a massive book fan and having like I've got over three hundred books on design and photography in my library at home, I, I am very much I do judge a book by its cover because it's the thing that attracts me. Mm-hmm. Is we all fall for it, whatever we buy. That got the first time I, when I got the first book, the Photoshop workbook. My my design wasn't real. I was more laying out a book cover for Glenn because it was his image and his images. And that was quite a good process. But when we came to photograph like a thief, it was a little bit like, wow, you know, I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let Glenn down. And it was the first time where the idea of the book, it was 
like we we spoke and we all came up with the same thing which was really cool and I, I was lucky enough to transfer that into a graphic that we got signed off really quickly but it was really important for me to get the voice to get the, the theme of the book because the cover is so important to you and you were saying in the process is that's good but it needs to be seen two inches square on Amazon. Whereas back in the day, the book would just be on a bookshelf. And it was really an, a weird, enjoyable process and getting that, getting that feel right for the book. And the fact that it worked so well that when you asked me to do the second book, the pressure is on, I really want to make a good cover. So when you're looking at, when you're looking at authors and books, where does where does that artistic side of the cover come into the process for you? What makes you decide what a book's going to look like on the outside? Like your enthusiast guide, I love. I love the style. It's square format. It's a, it has a flat colour and a text, and it's very noticeable. You come on your, on your booth today, there they are all lined up. So from you two, and I know you've got a design background, how do you decide what that, what that book is going to look like? as opposed to what's going to be in it. Well, I, I would, I'll say something and then Scott can take it over because Scott does most of this. But I would say every book is different and every book is a collaboration. And when you're speaking with an author and, and signing the book contract, you know, one of the first things we say is, you know, you work on an outline, you work on a chap, the first chapter so that we can work on an interior design, but we got to get that cover going because that's, you know, that's the, that's the visual voice for this book in terms of marketing and publicity for the longest time, for, you know, eight months before publication. Yeah. And that's when you can, you know, you'll, you'll get feedback from an author about what images they like, what kind of type they like, or colors they like or dislike. Uh, and that can be very helpful. Uh, but sometimes they leave it to us, and that's when it goes to Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, again, it's how, how does it different, differentiate itself? I mean, the, the two most important things from a marketing perspective are the title because it's got to be keyword searchable. You know, so if you're doing a book on landscape photography and it doesn't have the word landscape photography in it, it's going to be hard to find. You know, so you want to make sure that it's searchable and findable. And then again, the number one place people are going to see it is when they Google something and it comes up in a little teeny one-inch yeah. thing and it needs to stand out. Um, so that's that's a part of it, and there's so there's only certain kinds of images that work. Um, a, you need to have an image that works with type, and that's a that's a tough thing. Yeah. Um, and it needs to work small, as well as big. And then when you get it, it needs to really pop. Um, the enthusiast guides we were really trying to create something that was different and more modern, um, and didn't look like a manual. Yeah. You know that they they were fun and they're eye catchy and they're more modern and big type and you know sort of vibrant. Um, the image was a component of the design, but it, it wasn't the main thing that sold the design. Yeah. Right, because it, and again, you know, a lot of a lot of books, it's it can be, you know, photography books. It can be fairly obvious. You know, if you do a food photography book, you're going to put food on the yeah. cover and, and pets will pet. <laughs> yeah, you, you're going to yeah. If you're doing a pet photography Don't book, get too risky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but is it one pet or is it a hundred pets or you know how are you going to handle it in type and you know and what kind of feel? I mean, because it's not just for us. It's not just the cover. At the end of the day, it's going to be. What kind of paper is it going to be printed on? Yeah. Is it going to be matte or is it going to be glossy? Is it going to be have a hard cover, a soft cover? Is, you know, what kind of thing? What's going to make it stand out and make it a valuable thing that people are going to be attractive to? Because yeah. it still does have to be an attractive product at the end of the day. Yeah. 
and the, and the judge in the book by the cover works both ways because I've oh, I've seen books that have had god awful covers. It was like it was the last thing they thought of, and it's been a shame because I've not picked the book up. And then much later on, someone said, "Oh, the book you should get is this," and I'm, "Are you sure?" And I've gone back to the book. The content inside's been killer, but the cover just looked like their niece had to do it at the eleventh hour. And then obviously the whole thing of an amazing cover and 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 shitty content or poorly laid out content that wouldn't come from you or necessarily peach pit but there are other places where you pick a book up and it's oh. yeah it can be a real letdown yeah well that, i think that's part of like going back to the people are moving back to more physical books part of that wanting that physical book is they want an artifact yeah. that they feel good having and it looks good on their bookshelves yeah. and they like picking it up and they like reading it and it's attractive we picked that book up today, didn't we? The, book, the dog one. Yeah. And we were admiring the, the linen. I was so just going to remark on that. Yeah. Dented text on the back. That's just because we're geeks, Dave, yeah. really, what it comes to. And I am. I'm, I'm very much, uh, I pick the well, paper up and I like the Sometimes feeling. people will pick up one of our covers, like the uh, scuff resistant mat lamb, <laughs> just to throw out an industry term. Uh, and it just has that, it almost has that rubbery feel to yeah. it on the cover. And people pick it up and they just... Some people, it's actually, it feels like uh, like nails on a chalkboard. They really don't like it. Yeah. But most people pick it up and they go, oh, this is so nice. I like the folded yeah. insert in yeah. the front and back cover. Flaps, because, yeah, yeah. yeah, the flaps makes it just... I don't know. It gives it a little bit of a... Some heft. Yeah. The old book selling term is, they say a book has a nice hand. And so when you pick it up, it... Like, you, I remember when you got your first copy of thief and you were so happy because you picked it up and it has and it it felt good right it feels it's got heft to it and the cover feels good and it feels like a real like i'm going to learn something in this book because it feels great yeah well and that's great yeah yeah, not to uh not to um talk any kind of trash but i will say (laughs) that where we are now one of the things that we're one of the many things that we're able to do is uh create different kinds of Covers, hard covers, soft covers, you know, different kind of laminations, spot glosses that were um, not always easy to do in our previous life. Uh, yeah. So that's been really gratifying to be able to create something with you mm. and have you get it in the mail and be really impressed, awesome. you know. Please just punch on that turn off. I really well, I remember when your first book came out and I contacted the guys because we got a pre, I think I got a copy straight out the factory with no cover sent over so that Glyn could have it for I think it was for Christmas mm-hmm. and I ended up getting a cover made and getting it bound and and posted it to him and it did it got delivered to his house and he didn't even bother opening the package and I'm like Glyn have you had a package uh yeah I think so yeah go and open it because <laughs> he had no idea he was going to get the book and just the reaction and we yeah. met up soon after and just like holding just holding that book and the, the feel and the weight. It, it, is, it is a great feeling. I mean, I, I kind of like, you know, when you've got a book out there, it's, it's bizarre how when you have a book, and you, you know this because obviously the amount of authors you work with and stuff, but you can go from, say, 11.59pm on Monday night, your book isn't out, at 12.01am your book's out, you're perceived completely different. I don't know any more. But because you've got a book out, it's like, oh, you've got a book out. And also, do you know one point I find as well is that people, when you say, oh, yeah, I've got a book, I seem to find this nowadays. People go, oh, right, okay, okay. 
oh, you've got a book, and they kind of assume you self-published. The minute you say you've got a publisher, they're like, boom, you're up here, you're on another level. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You are like, wow, you've got a publisher. And then, then they say, oh, how much, how much did you pay them to do the book? And it's like, no, it's not like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. This is a, a two-way thing. We're working together on it. I actually get paid for doing the book. They pay you for doing the book? It's like, wow. Well, I mean, people don't understand. Yeah, that's, it's some, it's, when you're a published author by a major publisher, somebody's made a big investment in you. Yeah. You know, all those things, the, the print run, the design, the, all that stuff, and the, just running a company, mm. you know, that has a lot of cost that goes into that. And we, you know, like Ted said, we, make, we, make, we say we make 30 bets a year. So we're picking 30 people of all the people in the world yeah. to do books with. We do 30 a year. So when, with that in mind then, uh, is when you've got those, you're taking some gambles where you're maybe bringing in a new author or bringing in a new subject. Have you had a situation in your past where you've thought you've had a surefire winner and it wasn't? And what, what made it not a surefire winner? What were the, what were the problems there where you've been like, I put my mortgage on this book? Um, I mean, sometimes you read a topic wrong. I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about it for years. I mean, it seems like video for photographers should be an amazing topic. Um, it, because it, everybody talks about it, every camera comes out is, you know, the great video capabilities. It doesn't resonate as a book topic. So if there's th those kind of things that just haven't panned out. Um, sometimes it's, um, you know, again, that, that conversation where you have, where you have an outline and you've agreed on something. And, and then at the end of the day, if that doesn't come to pass, that that's not been successful. But at the same time, we have the, the opposite of that too, where we're like, uh, we'll take a gamble because we think this might be something right. And it hits and you're like, wow, that's really amazing. Look yeah. at that. So at the moment you haven't got a, like a storage facility with a pallet full of a, a bad idea that you both won't talk about because it's the elephant in the room. Well, we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, no, we make bad decisions, you know, like just everybody else does, you know. Yeah. Well, it, but it's a risk that, I mean, that, that's a part of a conversation with an author. We're both taking a risk here. You know, you're investing your time and your money and your, maybe not so much cash money but your time is money yeah. and you're investing that and we're investing our time and our our physical money into all of these things and you know sometimes it doesn't work yeah sometimes That's we're wrong has that changed because back in the day you used to have to print thousands and thousands whereas now you can actually get a smaller print run to take a bigger gamble because you're not stuck with a warehouse of you know the, the so-and-so bible or whatever I would say, I would say it's changed a bit in that regard, but you know you can't have it both ways. So yeah. as Scott was saying earlier, most of the cost is not in the printing, yeah. in developing a book. So you know you can hedge your bet a little bit by not printing quite as many, but you know in for a penny and for a pound, you've already you're you're well into the project, yeah. and so that's not going to save you if the if, yeah, if you know if the book isn't going to work out. The money's been spent at the beginning part. The print is the final. Apart. And that's why you really want those early conversations to be uh, fruitful, clear, and uh, setting the right expectations. Yeah. You know, between the publisher, the uh, and the author. And we, we, what's one of our corporate goals, right, is to be as transparent as possible. Yeah. We want everybody to know, you know, sort of how the whole thing works, and that we're as clear upfront as po as early as possible, so that we're all getting the best experience yeah. possible. So, where can people find more out about Rocky Nook? Good old rockynook.com. <laughs> <laughs>
We tried to make it tricky. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the same on social media, Rocky, just Rocky Nook. Uh, Twitter's uh, at Rocky Nook with an underscore in between the nook. Yeah. Um, we're on Instagram. But yeah, if you just search for Rocky Nook, we're probably the only one. You might find a park in Santa Barbara or a uh, town in Massachusetts. Uh, Massachusetts. <laughs> and, and if anybody had an idea for a book, how would they get in contact with you? What would you how would they kind of... What do they need to think yeah. about before they contact you? Before, well, after this yeah, episode, you go and get... Right. Everyone yeah. wants, oh, yeah, I've got a book. But, but the best place to start, actually, is we, on the bottom of our website, there's a little link that says Write for Us. And in there, we have sort of a set of sort of standard questions. That's a good place to start, help you think through your idea and sort of what we're looking for in the end of the day. And then, yeah, come talk to us. And they should sign up for your newsletter. Because Absolutely. you have some very good deals on your books. <laughs> we always have deals and we have a new newsletter coming that's going to have like new content and some videos and all sorts of things coming soon. Right. Well, I think we're done. We've got some good content out there, haven't we? Oh, yeah. We've got some good content. Right. We, we, we've done it. Brilliant. There you go. The first interview with Scott yeah. and Ted. <laughs> and we want to thank you for sponsoring the podcast as well. Cause we yes. do appreciate oh, yeah, the support sure. you've given us. and. Um, people have come up today and gone where's my book I won I mean, it's, it's at home it's on my desk I haven't sent it but um, yeah no thank you for your support on the podcast and the fact you've made books available for us to give away as prizes we'd like to be back on the 200th episode you will be okay pressure hey actually this, this yeah we've kind of gone beyond that point of yeah, when people average out and they stop yeah number eight, number eight is the one where you get you got to get past number eight <laughs> but no thank you very much for joining thank us because it is late in the evening thanks cheers okay so huge thanks to uh, scott and ted for giving us their time whilst we're at the photography show it was a manic few days so I think just like with David, they came into our room really late. And we, <laughs> yeah. bearing in mind, we were staying at the Crown Plaza. And then once it, they left, they had to walk back to the Hilton in sub-zero temperatures, uh, which, was, <laughs> which was quite a walk around the lake. So Scott and Ted, thank you so much for your time. I think it was brilliant. Uh, a real kind of under-the-covers kind of chat, talk about... Uh, just what goes into it and what they would expect, what they don't like, what they do like, and just a, just a good insight from a publisher's point of view. Yeah, and they're great sponsors of the show. We'd like to thank them again for that. And again, they've donated some books as prizes. So once again, if you could leave us a comment on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. And we're going to pick a couple of winners. I think we've got three winners to pick this week. Uh, we got a little bit behind because we've been away. Um, so we've got three winners. So it's three books that they've kindly donated. So leave a review, listen to episode 11, and we'll be announcing the winners on the show. So if you hear your name, you can need to contact us and we'll sort out getting a book to you. But uh, yeah, thank you so much again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the interview. We've got more to come. Uh, I'm going to be on the road soon, so I'm going to be picking up some more interviews. But yeah, thanks again for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. You will do. See you later. See you later. Today's episode was sponsored by Rocky Nook, publishers of great photography books by authors such as Scott Kelby, Alan Hess, and our very own Glyn Dewis. For your chance to win a free book, just leave us a comment. We'll make it a good one, or we'll change it.